age cannot wither her, nor custom stale her infinite variety. Hey there, and welcome to Her Infinite Variety, the podcast that covers Shakespeare from a feminist perspective. I'm your host, Aaron Grunfeld, an obsessive fan of Shakespeare's plays. One thing almost everybody knows about Shakespeare is that he didn't work with women. In London 400 years ago, all the female roles were played by boys, and a woman didn't go on stage in one of Shakespeare's plays until almost 50 years after he died. To balance the scales, on her infinite variety, I speak to the women in New York who are producing Shakespeare's plays. The actors, directors, designers, critics, and academics who bring Shakespeare to life in 21st century New York City. Shakespeare fans have an exciting spring ahead of us in NYC. The great Glenda Jackson is starring on Broadway as King Lear with Elizabeth Marvel, Aisling O'Sullivan, Ruth Wilson, and co-starring Jane Hootyshell as the Earl of Gloucester. That's some great casting there. Also on Broadway, Kelly O'Hara is taking on Kate in Kiss Me Kate. A sequel to Titus Andronicus will star Christine Nielsen and Julie White, so that should be hilarious. The feminist story of the spring is the directors. Red Bull, the Jacobean revivalists of Off-Broadway, asked Louisa Prosky to direct The White Devil and Erica Schmidt to direct Macbeth. Later in the spring, the Public Theater's mobile unit will tour the Outer Boroughs with a Tempest helmed by Laurie Woolery. That'll also star Crosscast Prospero. Two young women will play Hamlet at separate off-off-Broadway venues. And currently, the Frog and Peach Company is playing Twelfth Night, led by their artistic director, Linnea Benson. That's running at the newish Sheen Center on Bleecker Street, the company's new home after spending years on the Upper West Side. I'm speaking with Ms. Benson about her experiences as a woman in charge of a Shakespeare company, but we started with Twelfth Night, and its bona fides as a feminist play. I feel that Twelfth Night is a very feminist play. Viola says some lovely things that she she corrects Orsino and his perceptions of the shallowness of women's love. She does this disguised as a boy, and she gets to put the shoe on the other foot in her disguise as a boy, finding that things men say are far more acceptable than if a woman said the same thing. It's far more acceptable for a man to have a disrespectful attitude. I think a lot of the characters feel a bit hemmed in by the expectations of oppressive world, I mean, compared to the modern world today. Nevertheless, there are dangers there for women, which is why Viola gets into her breaches in the first place. What is your parentage? Above my fortunes, yet my state is well. I am a gentleman. Oh! Are we sworn thou art? Thy tongue, thy face, thy limbs, actions, and spirit do give thee five-fold blame. Another word. If you 
you don't have a man in your life, society expects a certain decorum from you, I feel. Olivia, Olivia is the um, beautiful countess who shuts herself off from the world after the deaths of her father and brother. Olivia finds freedom in her love for the disguised Viola. I think when the play opens, she's in danger of becoming very isolated. And she's free from that because of her love for Viola. She does things she never thought she'd do. She does things she never dreamed she'd do. And as a result, finds real happiness and independence from the expectations and norms of the world that she lives in. I wanted to know what challenges Twelfth Night had presented Ms. Benson with, and whether her cast had any issues with, for example, the Duke's misogyny or the gulling of Malvolio. I have to credit the cast with opening my eyes to several issues with Twelfth Night. I had the wonderful Amy Frances Quint as Mariah, who's a true feminist, the only character really that finds a way to indulge her appetites and not get into trouble. The character of Malvolio is oppressive. I mean, he's a religious right, bigot, narrow-minded guy. And so if you're interested in what's going on in Washington and the divisions within our own country, I think you get a big kick out of our Malvolio. It's very political. He's, he's described as kind of a Puritan and kind of a narcissist and kind of a short-sighted guy. And the characters of the pranksters, Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, Mariah, they're just splendidly skewer this uh, arrogant, self-centered, hypocritical Pharisee. And uh, who doesn't like revenge? And unfortunately, the, the, the text doesn't always leap off the page um, in a play that's very centered on juvenile pranks and um, <laughs> lowest common denominator humor, it, it doesn't come off the page as well as it does when, when you see it performed. Ms. Benson has been the artistic director of Frog and Peach for almost 20 years, and she's directed several of Shakespeare's plays for the company. I asked her what sort of limitations are built into a company that focuses on Shakespeare's plays, and also about the challenges that she's faced as a woman running a theater. There aren't enough women's roles in Shakespeare to serve the many gifted female actors out there. You know, a recent Much Ado About Nothing featured a woman in the huge role of Leonata, a woman, a matriarch. That does change the tenor of the play. When you have a matriarch steering her mostly female family through the dangerous waters of Sicilian courtship. In a recent Titus Andronicus, we had a woman playing Marcus Andronicus. We called her Marta. And when she discovers her niece mutilated and raped in the forest, it really gave it a great tenderness for what is widely regarded as an impossible scene. And that's with Titus Andronicus. I think there's great leeway for American directors to rethink certain parts, not to shoehorn them in. I don't believe in stunt casting. There's certainly not going to dress anybody down for a female hammer. There's nothing wrong with that. But you do have to decide Is she playing this as a man? Is she playing this as a woman? Is she playing this as disguised? 
what are we trying to say to our audience? It's a narrow path, but there are tremendous opportunities for women to have fantastic roles in Shakespeare if you keep an open mind. If I did love you in my master's play, in your denial I would find no sense I would not understand. Why? What would you? Make me a willow cabin at your gate and call upon my soul within the house. Write loyal cantons of contaminated love and sing them loud even into the dead of night. Hallow your name through the reverberate hills and make the babbling gossip of the air cry out, Olivia. Oh, you should not rest between the elements of air and earth, but you should pity me. When we first started the company, I was a little bit in a breaches role myself. I founded the company with my husband, Ted Dukowski. We're still married. He's a terrific actor and a terrific director and a composer. It just makes me sick. And for the first two or three seasons, I was the director. I was the only person directing. He would star sometimes, sometimes he would sit out. But in building our base audience, that really fell on my shoulders. And I would, as usual, you know, make the introductory speech and make the closing speech for money. And I was regularly called that little usherette. So I kind of got used to that. And what it opened my eyes to, as a Barnard graduate, you do have certain expectations that I am as valid as anybody else, but it opened my eyes to what my fellow New York females go through every day. And it made me more attuned to that, not just women in the arts, but women of color, women in the LGBTQ community of what we go up against every damn day. As the artistic director of a Shakespeare company, Ms. Benson is in a position to program classics that speak to her and to the moment. I asked her which of his works she'd like to direct next or which she'd like to return to. I've, I've always wanted to direct Coriolanus. I think it's a wonderful, timely story about national identity and who our heroes are and maybe who they should be. Titus Andronicus is a thrilling play that I loved, loved, loved directing Greg Milady and, and our wonderful company, too. It's a Lollapalooza. I needed smelling salts on hand, stage right and stage left, and that was just for the kids in the audience. It's a wonderful play. I've often taken a look at The Tempest. I love Comedy of Errors, and then, of course, the histories. I have a delicious cut of Henry VI, Part 1, 2, and 3 that I would love to present, but that would be a big undertaking and probably at least a two-season undertaking. While we're still serving so many new people, I want to give them what they want right now, and that seems to be comedies. So that's where we're going. <laughs> With that pragmatic response, I asked which comedies are her favorites. I would love to do Merchant of Venice again. I would love to do Merchant of Venice again. The last time I directed it was with the terrific Austin Pendleton as Shylock. And it was a mind-bending experience. I think our first matinee, we had a whole yeshiva in the house. But I think we addressed the issues with great sensitivity. There are awful people in Shakespeare. And I don't think he thought they were great, even though they ended up with a happy ending. They did terrible things. Uh, thank goodness society's changed so that we're more humane and uh, less rigid in our view of those different from us. 
My father had a daughter, loved a man. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment like a worm in the bud feed on her damaged cheeks. She pined and thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed, my lord? My father had a daughter, loved a man. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment like a worm in the bud feed on her damaged cheeks. She pined and thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed, my lord? My father had a daughter, loved a man. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment like a worm in the bud feed on her damaged cheeks. She pined and thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed, my lord? My father had a daughter, loved a man. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment like a worm in the bud feed on her damaged cheeks. She pined and thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed, my lord? I think at, at the base of every Shakespeare play is a sentiment that this could be much easier if we were just a little kinder to each other. If that's the bottom line, if that makes New York a better place, then... What do we got to lose? With you long blonde hair and I appreciate you listening to the return of her infinite variety. I'm thinking of this as the first episode of a new season. I spoke with Linnea Benson, director of Twelfth Night and artistic director of the Frog and Peach Theater Company. Twelfth Night will play at the Sheen Center in Greenwich Village from February 23rd to March 17th. In this episode, we also heard Kira Sedgwick playing Olivia at Lincoln Center in 1998. We also heard Tallulah Bankhead as Viola off a 1937 radio broadcast by the Mercury Theater on CBS. The theme music for her infinite variety is The Crystals, Da Du Ron Ron. And we're closing with Sorrow, a cover by New York City punks, The Pristines. I'm Aaron Grunfeld, and this has been Her Infinite Variety. Thanks for listening.